Well, good morning, everybody. And what a great joy it is for me to be here today, as you can imagine. Um, I do, we, my wife and I did come from Amanus this morning. And uh, Amanus, as you can imagine, over a long weekend is buzzing with people. But the weather being what it is, the only creatures happy in Amanus this morning are the whales. So we were very, very glad to be able to cross the mountain and come to visit you today. Grant, uh, when he introduced Glenn, um, said that uh, Glenn was his boss and that over the years he really appreciated Glenn's wisdom and wise words. Well, what you may be interested to in know is that for many years, many years ago, I was Glenn's boss. <laughs> and I also appreciated his wise words and his advice. <laughs> well, it's wonderful to be here, especially for this particular confirmation service with Ivana, who has visited us in Amanus, and for, of course, for Elizabeth, my granddaughter. What a great privilege. Now, I'm going to read to you from Isaiah chapter 40, as Grant has mentioned, and I'm going to read just a few verses from verse 6, and this is what it says. A voice says, cry out, and I said, what shall I cry? All men are like grass, and all their glory is like the flowers of the field. The grass withers, the flowers fall, because the breath of the Lord blows on them. Surely the people are grass. The grass withers and the flowers fall, but the word of our God stands forever. And you'll find similar words in 1 Peter chapter 1. Let me read these particular words again to you. The grass withers, the flowers fall, and the word of our God stands forever. And the reason why I've chosen that text as my text for today is because all of us know how quickly time rushes by. And as we see these two lovely young people stand before us this morning to be confirmed, uh, parents, I know I've been through it as a parent and now as a grandparent, I can't believe it because just five minutes ago I was young myself. That's how you feel. And now suddenly they're all grown up and they're taking responsibility for themselves, as Elizabeth mentioned. So often the words, uh, words like life goes by in a flash is on our lips, or thoughts like that. And it is true that all of us at some time or another will wonder where the years have gone because life does rush by. And it does seem to us that the grass withers, the flowers fall, but the word of our God stands forever. Humankind is very frail. You are frail. I am frail. You may feel very healthy. You're athletic. You ride your cycles. You run through the forests and all that. But at the end of the day, in terms of the greatness of the universe, you're nothing but a speck of dust, and I'm nothing but a speck of dust. We're all frail. And we'll soon discover that the grass withers and the flowers fall, but the word of our God stands forever. Now, the trouble is that many people don't believe that life rushes by. They live for the moment, and in the moment, they do what they want to do. Many years ago, there was a Greek philosopher by the name of Heraclitus. Some of you doing studies may have come across him or come across his name. He lived around about 500 years before Jesus Christ. And... Um, he had real problems with life, and he did some real thinking about life, and he decided that, like we do, that life passes on. Nothing stays the same. You know, you've got that 
precious little child that came to the, I don't know who it belongs to, but if you don't want it, please give it to me. And, <laughs> and that, that came to the front. Do you think she'll stay as cute as she is now? No, no, she'll grow. She'll grow and become cuter. And soon you'll find people knocking on your door. Life goes by, and it goes by very, very quickly. And that's what Heraclitus said. That's what he thought. And he put it like this. He had a very famous illustration, which if you study philosophy, you will come across sooner or later. And he said, you cannot step into the same river twice. That's what he said. And what he meant by that was this. He said, if you come to a river and you want to cross it, you put your foot into the river. When you put your foot into the river, at that instant, the river changes. It changes because it keeps on flowing. And the water you put your foot into flows on. And new water comes. And when your foot touches the ground, it stirs up sand and grit and dust or whatever it is in the river. And everything there, the little microcosms there, they change. And when you put your second foot into the river, you're putting your second foot into a different river because the water has flowed on. And when you want to come back across the river again, you may come back to the same spot, but the river is not the same because time goes on and everything is in a state of flux, he said, and, rough, and life rushes by. So things happen very quickly. Times do change and we can only, we only need to just cast our mind over the, uh, over the years that our two confirmation candidates this morning have lived over these, what, 16, 17 years, whatever it is, that they have lived um, you only have to consider what has happened and our time has changed. You think about the COVID pandemic that we all went through. Think about the current tremendous opposition to, to authority. Think about the developments of technology. You think about the woke theories that have come into our world and changed so much of our personal social experience. Think about the masses of immigration that take place today. All things that have happened in the last time, in the last years that these two girls have lived. And also one of the great things is, that, is the advances in science. You know, when I was a young guy, a young minister, and doing my work at St. James in Kenilworth, I was always amazed at the Hubble spacecraft. The Hubble spacecraft went up into space and took photographs no one had ever seen before. I used to sit sometimes in front of my television screen, as it was then, and watch the Hubble spacecraft photographs and weep. I used to weep, literally weep, because I was overwhelmed by the greatness of the God who created all of these things. Now, today, you have a new telescope up in space. It's parked a million miles away in space, and it's taking further photographs, hoping to go beyond the Big Bang theories and to see what they can pick up from that era so that we can find out where we come from, who we are, and why we are as we are, and why planet Earth is as, as it is so different today. And so things have changed. And uh, you will change and I will change as things go by. Some changes are good and some changes are bad. But they will change because life rushes by and because we are like the grass of the field. We are like the lilies of the field or the flowers of the field. We'll all wither and we'll all die. And that's what life is like. And we need to find some kind of way to cope with that, some kind of way to live with that. And so I would like to remind you of certain things that do not change and certain things that remain the same throughout all eternities. And if there were 10 Big Bang theories, things would still be the same with these three things I'm going to mention to you now. 
And the first is this, that God says, I do not change. He says this in Micah chapter 2 and verse 6. Yes, he says, the grass of the field may change, and the flowers of the field may wither and die, but I do not change. Micah chapter 2 and verse 6. The Lord never changes. And so the God to whom these two young people today have committed their lives, the God before whom they stand today and publicly pledge their allegiance is a God who never changes. He's the same God who listened to my pledge of allegiance when I was younger. He's the same God who listened to your pledge of allegiance when you were younger, if you were confirmed. And he's the same God who, was the, who is the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. He never changes. There's nothing in God that needs to change. He is perfect in all of his attributes. God doesn't need any more mercy because he's got all the mercy that, that is available, that is possible. He, he doesn't need any more love because all the love that is possible is, 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 all, is all in him. He doesn't need any more justice because it's all in him. There's nothing we can add to God, nothing we can take away. And through all the ages, God has remained the same. That is one of the great bedrocks of our faith. And many people don't understand that, that we believe in an unchanging God. And that is why we regard so many people seeking for all sorts of alternatives as foolishness. Because there's one unchanging God who has got all the attributes that make um, not only the universe a stable place, but make us all happy. It's all in him. And it's this one unchanging God who never changes. You may live another thousand years but you will discover that the same God who never changes will demand in a thousand years' time that you put your faith in Jesus just as he demands it today. Nothing ever changes with Almighty God. And so this unchanging God, this great creator of the universe, the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who is now the Father of all of those who put their faith and trust in him, is the one we honor today. The second thing that never changes is God's word never changed. That's what it says in Isaiah 40. Yes, the flowers of the field may change, the daisies may change, the grass may wither, but the word of the Lord remains forever. God's word will never change. We look at this book today, it's already thousands of years old. The prophets lived, many of the prophets lived long, long years before the Lord Jesus Christ. It took 66 books put together like this for us to understand the message of Christ because it is a profound message. And yet it is so simple that we can take a little baby like the one who was in front earlier today and bring her up in church and put her into a Sunday school and she can grow up without understanding all of the variations of this great big book and she can understand that Jesus loves her because the word says so. The word of God never changes. The grass withers, the flowers fade, but the word of our God will stand forever. And it is to this word that these two young girls have pledged themselves today. And indeed, all of you said that you are Christians. You have, by saying that, you have pledged yourself to this word. That does not mean that you can't question it. It does not mean that you can't ask for explanations. It does not mean you can't examine it. It does not mean that you can't handle it and say to it, are you relevant to me today? But this is the word when it has been examined from all angles, you will discover stands forever. And that is why thousands of years after portions of it were written and 2,000 years after Jesus came, there are still multitudes, millions of people 
in all walks of life who embrace him as saviour and embrace this word as the final truth to all of us. So God does not change and God's word does not change. And then I want to say that God's way of getting people back to him does not change. God's way of salvation does not change. You remember what the Lord Jesus Christ said in John chapter 14 and in verse 6, he said, I am the way. Many people say, well, I want to find the way. I want to find my own way. Well, you can try and find your own way if you like, but Jesus said, I am the way. You will land up with futility. You will land up with regret. You will land up with doubts about yourself, but I am the way. He said, I am the truth. People say to us today as Christians, well, you've got your truth and I've got mine. Well, they may believe that if they want to, but we don't have our own truth as Christians. Our truth is in the person of the Lord Jesus Christ, who is the embodiment of all truth in the universe. Everything that is true is, is collated together and put into the person of the Lord Jesus Christ. I am the way. I am the truth. And if you want to know how a holy God can accept unholy people like us back into fellowship with himself, then Jesus says, you must come to me. For I am the way, the truth, and I am the one who can give you life. Not talking about physical life, which is limited for all of us, but he's talking about the eternal life for which we all crave. He's talking about that eternal thirst that we have within that we can't always explain. He's talking about that hunger in our souls, that hole in our spirit that we can't always explain to people or even explain to ourselves. He says, I am the one who deals with that. I'm the one who can give you life. What you're longing for, what you're thirsting for, is a knowledge that all will be well with you for all eternity. You're longing for truth. You're longing for the ultimate reality. And I am the one who can give that to you. And no one else can. And so that will never change. I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father, said Jesus. No one. Is there a king somewhere that says, well, I'm so rich and I'm so powerful and I'm so popular. I'll get into heaven. No, says Jesus, no one comes to me unless he, and no one comes to the Father unless he comes to me first. Is there some oligarch somewhere who's got a super yacht parked somewhere in some luxury port somewhere who thinks that he's beyond the reach of anything and that he'll be fine for the rest of his life or when he comes to die, he'll hear the words, no one comes to me. Uh, no one comes to the Father unless he first comes to me. No one comes to the Father, Jesus said except through me. So life, life may rush by, and, um, and, and it certainly does. It goes very quickly, and one day we'll all be old, and lots of other changes will have been made, and there will be many things that will be different, even for what our young people experience today, just as I've experienced lots of differences in my life and lots of things changing in my life. But these three things will never change. God will never change. His word will never change, and the way of salvation will never change. It is unchanging. His word is true. Yes, the flowers of the field may die, the grass may wither, but the word of the Lord stands forever. Now, if that is true, then what these two young people and every person uh, who are before us today and every person who is a Christian needs to ask is, if these things are true, then how should I govern my life? What should I do? Um, I've got a life to live. I've got studies I've got to do. 
I've got a job that I've got to do. I've got responsibilities that I have got to shoulder. How do I live my life? And it's with that in mind that I turn just briefly this morning to the book of Ephesians chapter 5. And I want to read to you just a very short passage from it and draw just three or four points from it and close the service. And this is what it says in Ephesians chapter 5. It says in verse 15, Be very careful then how you live. If it is true that God never changes, if it is true that his word never changes, if it is true that his way of salvation never changes, then says the Apostle Paul, be very careful then how you live. Not as unwise, but as wise, making the most of every opportunity because the days are evil. Therefore do not be foolish, but understand what the Lord's will is. Do not get drunk on wine, which leads to debauchery. Instead, be filled with the Spirit. So what I would like to say to my granddaughter, what I would like to say to Ivana today, what I would like to say to every person who says they're a Christian in this audience this morning, is that there are certain things incumbent upon you and upon me if I say that I am a Christian and a follower of Jesus Christ. And the first is this, the way I must conduct my life is that I must think, think. I must think. Because time passes on and I've only got a short period of time to live in this world as it hurtles toward that great cataclysmic meeting with God. I must live my life thoughtfully. I must think. And this is the way the Apostle Paul puts it, be very careful. That's translated in different ways in different translations. Be very careful. Think. Be thoughtful about your life. Think about it. Be very careful then how you live. Some people do not live carefully. They live recklessly. Some people live pridefully. Some people live with vanity. Some people live with a kind of a confidence that's got nothing to do with God at all, but rather with the temperament and rather with the culture. And they live with that, with that confidence that all will be well with them. And they, other people may have their struggles because other people need crutches. That's why they go to church. But not me. I can make it on my own. And God's word is to all who believe in him, be careful how you live. Be very careful, be thoughtful, be thinking. I want to say this to you, friends, and I can only say it briefly, that God's word, God and his message, God who, the person of God, the person of the Lord Jesus, never bypasses the mind. You understand? He never bypasses the mind. The, the late John Stott, who was a great theologian and preacher and, uh, and a hero to many in my generation, he wrote a little book once, he wrote, he wrote profound, book, profound books, which shook the world when he wrote them. But one little book he wrote, which stuck with me for, for al almost all my life, was a little, just a little booklet, just a booklet that you would tuck into your back pocket. It was called, Your Mind Matters. And so don't let anybody ever tell you that Christians and Christianity is mindless. It's the most profound system of thought in the world today. And God never passes the mind. And here he says, if the things that are true of me, that I never change, my word never changes, and my salvation never changes, then you must learn how to think. You must think carefully. Think about me, think about my word, think about my salvation and how it applies to your life in the ordinary course 
of your living on a day-by-day basis. Pay attention, one translation says. Pay attention to how you, how you walk or how you live. The Bible uses the word walk as a kind of a synonym for living. How you walk. Be very careful, says the scripture, then how you live or how you walk. And then it says you've got to live wisely. That's the second thing. He says be very careful then how you walk, not as unwise, but as wise. Now, when we talk about wisdom today, you know, we kind of think about wise people. We kind of think about the wisdom of the, of the ancient East or the wisdom of the ancient this or the wisdom of the ancient that. We kind of, we kind of take wisdom and, 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 we, and we, we jam it into past ages and say that's where true wisdom lies. We've got this kind of esoteric view of, of wisdom. But the scripture doesn't think of wisdom like that. The scripture thinks of wisdom in a different way entirely. Wisdom is to live right and righteously. And foolishness is the opposite of wisdom. It's to live foolishly without God and without any reference to anyone who is ruling the world. And so the scripture tells us to think about our lives and then to choose to live wisely, making the best of every opportunity. Opportunities that have come our way, you may have lots of opportunities to do bad things, but you must think about it and the consequences of that. You may have lots of opportunities to do ordinary, mediocre things that are neither good nor bad. You must think about it and what it means to your life. You have lots of opportunities to do good things, and even if they are good, are they good for you to be doing? You've got to learn how to think, how to use your time in such a way because the days in which we live, the ages in which we live, are evil. The, the, the societies in which we live are not good societies. I'm not saying there's no good in them. There's a lot of good things in our societies. But at heart, all of society around the world is touched by the fall and is evil and is anti-God. So live wisely. Think about what you do. Live wisely. And then thirdly, the apostle says this. He says... Therefore, do not be foolish, but understand what the Lord's will is. Live with an understanding of the Lord's will. People often say, what is God's will for me? You know, I, I don't know what the Lord's will for me is when I, when I meet this guy or meet this girl or I have, have this job opportunity or should I go overseas or not go overseas or what? What is the Lord's will? Well, in the scripture, the Lord's will has always got to do with his salvation and with our personal holiness. God doesn't actually care too much where you live. He doesn't care that much about what you choose to do with your life by way of a job, although it's quite right to refer these things to him. But what God does care about is your personal holiness. And so he says, therefore, do not be foolish, but understand what the Lord's will is. The Lord's will is for you to be separate and different to the world around about you. It doesn't mean to say you've got to be weird. It doesn't mean to say you've got to be extreme. It doesn't mean you to say you've got to be a raving fundamentalist, but it does mean that there's got to be something about you that shines about heaven, that speaks about heaven, speaks about God. Understand what the Lord's will is. And so if you, if you understand what the Lord's will is, you will remember there's only one way to heaven. And if you're going to associate yourself with that, then all of your life has got to be reflecting that in some way 
or another. Do not live recklessly, as I said before. Live carefully and think about every decision that you're going to make so that you know what the Lord's will is. The Lord's will is that you should always be a Christian. And the Lord's will is that every person who's not a Christian should become one. They should put their faith in Jesus. That's the Lord's will. It's not the Lord's will that any should perish, says the scripture. The Lord's will is that you should come into the, into the circumference of his love and of his forgiveness and of the hope that he gives for all those who put their trust in Jesus. And then the last thing is this. The Apostle Paul says, Therefore do not be foolish, but understand what the Lord's will is. Do not get drunk on wine, which lead to debauchery. In other words, don't live just for hedonism. Don't live just for pleasure. No, no, don't do that. Instead, he says, be filled with the Spirit. You know the way to happiness and the way to joy for us as Christians is to remember that the Almighty God that never changes dwells in us by his Holy Spirit. It is a very profound mystery that the third person of the Trinity takes up residence within us. Now, every Christian has the Spirit. Every Christian, every person who has ever come to Jesus has the Holy Spirit living within them. But what does Paul mean then when he says, you must be filled with the Spirit? We can't fill ourselves with the Spirit. It's the Holy Spirit who comes in sovereign power when we come to the Lord Jesus and takes up residence within us. But what Paul means is this, is that if you're going to live wisely instead of foolishly, if you're going to think about things, if you're going to devote your life to the Lord Jesus Christ, then what you've got to do is cooperate with the Holy Spirit within you. As the Lord himself works in your life, so you learn to read his word, so you learn what it means to really pray, so you mean to associate with people who, who ennoble you, not people who drag you down. So, so it means that, you, that you, you fill your mind with good things, with good books, and, 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 you, and, you, and, you live, and you live a life that in every way seeks to reflect the fact that you've been thinking about life and that you, and that you want to be the right sort of person to live in a world like ours. And every time you do the right thing, every time you choose to do something that pleases God, so the Holy Spirit seems to expand within you. It's, it's, it's almost as if the Holy Spirit begins to fill every area of your body. And there's a sort of an afflatus of the Holy Spirit. There is an expansion of the Holy Spirit within us. And so as the Holy Spirit leads us and guides us, as he makes the Lord Jesus Christ increasingly important, important to us, and as we grasp it and grow with it and go with it and, and glow with it, so the Holy Spirit himself begins to grow within us. And Paul says, if you want to know, and you, you know what the Spirit of God does for us? He gives us discernment, teaches us how to make decisions, how to live. He teaches us to negotiate life in a way that brings the maximum happiness that we can have in a fallen world. And so the Apostle Paul says, this is what you should do if you are truly one who believes that all the grass in the world will wither and all the flowers of the field will fade, but that my word will last forever. If my word lasts forever and I last forever and there's only one way ever to be saved, reflect that in the way in which you live. Now I know that our two young ladies who stood before us today will do their best to do that and so should you and so should I. Which leads me to end by saying, 
I wonder if you've been confirmed. And uh, if you were confirmed when you were younger, have you kept your vows? Or are there things that need to be put right? And uh, if you confirmation is just what it was today, it's just, an, it's just a way of saying to the congregation, I am a Christian and I'm taking responsibility for my life. You ever done that? Or said that? And maybe there is the moment when you should say to yourself, I should do that. You should go to Grant and say to him, make an opportunity on the platform for me as an older person to be able to tell the congregation that I am following Jesus. And if you choose, choose not to do that, well then, you've got to choose your own way. And I don't know where that will lead to in this life, but I do know where it will lead to in the next. Now let's pray together. Our Heavenly Father, we thank you for the service today and thank you for Elizabeth and Ivana and thank you for their commitment to you. Thank you for their glowing, shining personalities. Thank you for the joy of youth. Thank you for the gifts and talents you've given them and the opportunities that stretch before them. We pray that you will fill those opportunities with your presence, with your joy, with your love. Keep them safe in a world that is not safe and undertake for them in all the years that lie ahead. And for us, Lord, we who are older, we who have chosen a path that we are taking, we pray that you will be with us. Help us to avoid the great mistakes. Help us to walk according to the light of your word. Help us to remember that your word will never change. Help us to remember who we are at every uh, fork in the road that we come to. Fill us with your spirit and help us to be filled with the spirit. And we ask you to do that for us in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. Amen.